Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. Dean Richards, Sunday morning on WGN. Dr. Kevin Most taking uh, a Sunday off today, but leaving us in the very capable hands of Dr. Brian Babka, a uh, sports medicine physician with Northwestern Medicine's Regional Medical Group. Uh, Doctor, uh, very nice to have you with us on the show today. Hello. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, let's start off with what has uh, you know been one of the biggest stories of the week, uh, and that was the cardiac arrest suffered by LeBron James' son, uh, Bronny. Uh, how common is something like that with uh, a young man? So... As we talk about cardiac events, uh, particularly in our athletes, it's not necessarily uncommon. So if you really look at the data, about 1 in 2,100 black Division One basketball players will have a cardiac event. About 1 in 5,000 white Division One basketball players will have a cardiac event. So it is something that everyone needs to be aware of, and it needs to be trained. And I think the beauty is the awareness that's kind of come to – sports cardiology and sports cardiology issues over the years. Uh, COVID actually was a nice jump start in terms of awareness. Um, but then we had the Demar Hamlin situation and now the Bronny situation. So to move things forward in terms of education, awareness, training, uh, these events will hopefully do that for us. Yeah, a couple of uh, you know great things is, number one, he's okay. He seems to be doing fine. Number two, it's brought a lot of awareness to this subject. Um, but he's 18 years old, cardiac arrest at 18 years old. And you say that it's not all that uncommon for uh, no, so, for an athlete, huh? No, so a couple of things can happen. So obviously, when you're an elite athlete or an avid exerciser, there's going to be cardiac adaptations. So when we talk about cardiovascular fitness, you know, there's endurance changes to the heart, there's strength changes. So an athlete's heart becomes very efficient. So it's going to pump a ton of blood, you know, per beat uh, because it has to pump that blood to working muscles. However, that heart can actually sometimes get too big, or as it gets big, it can exacerbate um, an underlying genetic or kind of structural component. So as that muscle wall thickens, it can actually sometimes become less efficient because it's pumping less blood because there's too much heart. It actually can restrict some coronary artery anomaly so all of us kind of have our arteries go different ways in different body parts and if an artery is actually getting pinched by the pumping heart it's actually going to decrease blood flow there's some genetic components structurally but also like arrhythmias um so electro- like the, the electrical system of your heart as it beats um an athlete can exacerbate or like predispose um a pre-existing condition and so in these cases, that's it's most likely in the Bronny situation, that's what's happened. The DeMar Hamlin situation is a little different, and that was a direct blow to his chest on a certain section of the heartbeat. So in the, in the Bronny uh, situation, is this something that might have been detected? I presume that they're checked thoroughly and tested thoroughly before they're uh, allowed Correct. out on, on the court. Is, is this something that just happens, as you say, as an anomaly? Yeah, I'm- uh, or or is it, is it something that further testing, deeper kind of testing, might have uh, shown up uh, ahead of time? 
It's probably a little both. In Bronny's situation, he was at USC. Um, I don't know the exact protocol, but I guarantee you they were doing cardiac screening. There was a sports physical. He likely had a 12-lead ECG. He may have even had a cardiac echo. Um, knowing his resources, you know, who knows what else was available. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these, even with the best testing, can go undetected. Um, when I first came out of training, and kind of kudos to Kevin Bost, he's actually who hired me in 2001, um, we actually didn't do a lot of cardiac screening in the United States. So when we were doing, you, you have a physical exam or your sports physical, but we never really did 12-lead ECGs and cardiac echoes because our the way um, Americans read a 12-lead ECG or your heart tracing there was about a 7% false positive rate. So from a financial and kind of time and anxiety um, burden, it wasn't really the go-to model in the United States. We were actually catching too many. It was causing, we were kicking up anxiety in student athletes, athletes and parents. But over the years, we've gotten a lot better. So our sports cardiologists now apply what's called international criteria to reading an ECG. and so the, some of these athletic heart changes can actually be read as normal, and they're extremely well-trained in it. So we actually have now moved towards a cardiac screening program in the United States, uh, where we now do 12 ECGs. We do a lot of echoes, uh, which is a, a heart ultrasound. This is where I think COVID may have actually jump-started a lot of these programs for schools. So in 2020, uh, to get everything back online, we were doing cardiac exams, 12 ECGs, echoes, depending on what conference you were in. So the Big Ten, they were actually also using sports cardiologists or cardiology eval, cardiac MRI. A lot of these schools and teams and programs are able to kind of put these entities into place, and now they're much more readily available, plus our training's much better. We were able to utilize our sports cardiologists. We're very lucky in the Chicago area to have like a robust sports cardiology um, peer group, and so we're getting better at it. But these can, these are not one hundred percent detectable. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, all all that you're saying uh, just makes me wonder uh, what kind of endurance professional athletes must have uh, for you know for the uh, the kind of endurance that they must have and strength, uh, both physical strength, but also cardiovascular strength and. You know things like that that uh, where they're able to be out on the the court uh, for as many minutes uh, per, you know per game per career as uh, they are. Correct. I mean, the, the human body is amazing. Uh, the adaptations it makes and, and the, the amount of stress it can absorb and the amount of adaptation it can make uh, it's it's truly profound. I think sometimes the hard thing in our world is there's probably more science. In fact, we know there's more science we don't know than we do. And so there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I was sent a, a, a statistic actually by uh, Sam uh, Panianovich, who used to do sports on our uh, show here and is uh, listening. Shout out to Sammy. But he says that he finds it very interesting that uh, LeBron, the father LeBron, has been able to log uh, something like uh, 65,000 minutes on the court uh, over 20 years and has never had a serious injury. I mean, that sort of underlines, doesn't it, how individual this is. If uh, Bronny's dad has 
such incredible endurance without incident. And at 18 years of old, Bronnie does. Uh, that that speaks to the individuality of this, does it? Or, or am I wrong? No, that's correct. I mean, we're all... You know, when we look at anything in medicine, and particularly sports medicine, in, in my world, I'm on the medical side of sports medicine. We talk about cardiac clearances, concussion. Um, everything's very, very individualized. We can have some set protocols that may act as our template uh, for treatment, but the nuances of each and every one of us and each and every student athlete in each and every different sport, because the demands in every sport is different, we have to take all of that into account. So um, I, I want to open up the phone lines if people have questions about uh, themselves, about their, their kids. Uh, school is uh, about to start. School athletic programs are about to kick into high gear. Uh, you know, if, if there are questions uh, or comments that people may have our, our text line, people are saying that heart testing in schools has been going on for 10 years in Naperville school districts. Uh, you know, people are, are commenting that this is not anything new that apparently is going on. Correct. Actually, and this is, when you look in the western suburbs particularly, there's a group, Midwest Heart, who I think now I believe is part of Advocate. Dr. Merrick is a sports med cardiologist. As I talk about kind of the history of how we used to do these things in the United States and where we're progressing, he was actually an early adopter of that. Um so kudos to him and the Naperville's, and I believe that Hinsdale's Downer Grove, that area. Uh, they've been on the forefront of this for a long time. Um, and a lot of the research and some of the things we do, and we talk about people who have dictated where we go with ECG criteria and reading for athletic heart. Um, Midwest Heart, you know, to their credit, was on the front end of this. Are there uh, certain areas which have higher incidence? of uh you know uh, cardiac issues than others are there certain age groups uh anything that we can say you know that some people are at greater risk than others um i don't have specific data on like a regional group uh i think sometimes in the united states particularly us being late adopters is we have such a heterogeneous kind of gene pool um so we kind of talk, you know, we, 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 you know, a lot of us laugh about being American mutts. Is you know, if you're a third, fourth generation American, you're a sixteenth of everything, and so the genetic pool here is very different. So that's why when you look at the European early adopters of athletic heart and ECG and cardiac testing, those were much more homogeneous gene pools in Europe, um, and so it's taken us a little bit to catch up. Um, we do know. A little bit more common in black athletes than uh, white athletes, uh, but again, this is still data that's being collected in science. We don't we don't yet have. Hmm. Very interesting. All right, so as we get into uh, sports programs uh, getting started again for the fall, uh, I think uh, of uh, high school football programs and the concerns that lots of people have about injuries that uh, you know young kids uh, playing football uh, may may incur. Uh, how concerned should parents be about their, their kids playing uh, football and the possibility of injuries? Well, there's always a concern. I think everything that we do is you have to put things on, on kind of a risk-benefit ratio. And sports are extremely important. Right? We, we know the benefit, the health benefit, the, the mental health benefit of playing sports 
the life lessons learned is always going to far outweigh the risk. Obviously, every sport comes with a little different risk. Um, you know, football is a full contact sport, so there's some things there. Um, I see a lot of concussion. I see several hundred concussions, sports-related concussions a year. So obviously, that's a risk. But we have to look when you look at kind of risk stratification. And this isn't me minimizing sport by any means. It's not you know taking sport out of context in real life. But we all inherit some risk getting out of bed in the morning, and when we start talking about sports and risk, I mean, there's just, you know, every one of us takes a risk getting in our car every day. We don't necessarily like to talk about that because it's something we do routinely. Every one of our kids takes some risk going to PE class. Every one of our kids takes a risk in free play in terms of like riding a skateboard, wrestling with their brother, riding their bike, recreational sport. Um, and so sports are good. Is there going to be some risk? Absolutely. Is it on the adults in the room? to do the best they can to minimize those risks, whether it be rules, protocols, training, absolutely. Um, but sports aren't evil, that's for sure. Uh, well, what kind of precautions should uh, parents take then to minimize uh, any potential risk that may take place? All of those things that you said are risky are all very true. But when you get on a football field, the, uh, the, the, the objective is to crush the opponent. Uh, when you get in a car, the objective is not to get injured. When you get on a skateboard, the objective is to not get injured. But on the on the football field, the objective is inflict violence on uh, another player so, so you can progress and, and score. I mean, there is a big difference. Correct. Correct. I mean, I, to an extent. Um, but there are definitely things we can do. So obviously we're going into dead week. And so this is a really good time of year to kind of get all our ducks in a row, start completing our checklist. I think the most important thing, and we'll probably be on this in terms of um, with Dead Week coming up, but sports physicals are really important. Um, I know a lot of people want to look at a sports physical as I just need this piece of paper signed so my student athlete can play. But there's actually a role for sports physicals in terms of determining injury risk and health risk. And, you know, we look at the cardiac stuff. So the things we just talked about with Bronnie James uh, doing a very good cardiac assessment and cardiac exam. We can talk about concussion history and education, uh, things of that nature. We can talk about overtraining and overuse injuries. This time of year, unfortunately, we have a lot of kids that didn't do anything all summer. They're deconditioned. And then we come into camp next week and there's an immediate overuse. Um, there's female athlete issues. Um, female athletes have uh, some different issues uh, than our male athletes. And then, in all honesty, there's a general health issue. So as we get into some years in high school and definitely in our college athletes and some of our recreational professional adult athletes, that sports physical may be the only physical they get or any contact they get with a physician in a given year. So it's a very good time to go through just general health stuff, things of that nature. So that's number one. Number two, we're always going to look at equipment. So it's a very good time of year to start inventorying the equipment that you're going to have available for this year. How old is that helmet? And this, this goes for record sport, your bike helmet, your football helmet, your lacrosse helmet, your um, hockey helmet, your, your shoes, your footwear, whether it be your, your cleats, your running shoes, um, things of that nature. And then on the school side, this is where the medical team, the athletic directors, school boards, coaches, 
This is where we need to start putting all our action, emergency action plans in place or finalizing them for the year. So we have the protocols in place that if something were to happen, we know exactly what we're doing. So making sure as many people are possible are CPR trained. It's very important. Making sure our athletic trainers have up-to-date AEDs. Uh, making sure uh, we have a heat protocol uh, for exertional heat illnesses. Making sure we have those kind of things in place, making sure, you know, athletic trainers are trained. So, again, for all those athletic directors, school board members, coaches that are out there, please advocate for athletic trainers. Um, athletic trainers and CPR training save lives. Yeah, well, that, the you know, the story that came out of uh, the Bronnie James uh, incident is uh, but for the people who were there and immediately treated him. Uh, when he suffered cardiac arrest, it would have been a completely different outcome. They were prepared and uh, were, were able to treat him. You, you said that to have uh, that uh, uh, schools and facilities should have a- AUDs. Is that what you said? Are those the, a- the paddles? AEDs. Are those the paddles? Yep, the, the... Correct. So everyone has one, one. We're moving, you know, with the resources we have available, we are moving to a time where AED should be readily available everywhere. Um, And then when you get to that point, people need to be trained on them. Yeah. Uh, They are very self-explanatory. So if you weren't trained, um, it it will walk you through it. But even just hands only CPR training with AED awareness can save lives. And it's very easy for anybody, for coaches, teachers, parents, athletes, uh, to get that training. Yeah, well, we hear stories um, all the time of, uh, you know, how people, you know, somebody somebody knew CPR and saved somebody life, somebody's life. It's a good idea just to have basic training. On our text line, the 708 area code says, I am 60 years old, a workout warrior. Are there health concerns that should be on my radar as to what I should and should not be doing at my age? So first, for a 60-year-old, um, general health. So as you know, those routine discussions with your medical professionals, your, your primary care physician about cardiac risk, so that's going to be your cardiovascular risk, cholesterols, things of that nature. The other is going to be starting to look at metabolic health. So not that it's for all adults, but one thing is there's a cardiovascular fitness that we are very well aware of, of how efficient your heart is and being able to do certain exercise within a certain heart rate zone. But there's also a metabolic fitness. So how well are we, you know, metabolizing glucose or, you know, our insulin um, function, um, our endocrine kind of feedback loops, looking at thyroid function, things of that nature. Yeah. Let me let me, other, let me let me just interrupt for a second because we only have about a minute yeah. left here. Should a 60 year old uh, do the kinds of workouts that they were doing when they were 25? Or do they need to slow down a little bit? Probably a little both. Um, it's very individualized, like we talked about. Everyone's a little bit different. I, I think every 60-year-old should still be exercising and weight training. I think what we all need to realize is that we probably need a little bit more cross-training. So even my marathoners that are still qualifying for Boston every year, we don't have them run six days a week anymore. They're running three to four with cross-training. Um, you know, we may never PR again. Um, what, is that? What, is that? what does that mean? Uh, so that's a, like, like a personal record or oh, like okay. PB, personal best. All right. Um, and so, but we know strength training and cardiovascular training for VO2 max, those are still all extremely important at any age. 
I appreciate all the good information. It's Dr. Brian Bobka, sports medicine physician, Northwestern Medicine Regional Medical Group. Doctor, I hope you have a great day today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank you. You do the same.